you are you are so great and you you lead us and you call us to follow after you so god i just pray that you would be the life in our bones um, and that we would just live every part of our lives for you god Um, i just pray that as we enter this time of giving first and then receiving your word that you would just be uh, preparing our hearts for whatever it is that you have for us today god Um, that we would just be opened Uh, to your word and that we wouldn't only listen but that we would go out and do uh, what you are calling us to father so thank you so during this time we enter a period of giving Um, so the bible calls us to be good stewards of what god has blessed us with and to support the church and to care for his family so um, on the screens, you should see three different ways to support the church financially. You can also give of your time or talent. Those are different ways. So um, I would encourage you guys to consider um, what what method of giving you can pursue today. Um, and if you're a guest with us, don't worry about giving. Just receive and um, hopefully be blessed by, by the Lord today. So for this offering song, we are going to do a new song um, that Common Ground has never done before. But it's a song that I think really reflects the themes of Hebrews well. Um, and it's actually inspired by Hebrews 4:16, which I'm going to read real quick. Um, it says, Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in times of need. So not only did God die for us, he loves us so much, and we don't have to be afraid when we go to him with our struggles or sin or anything like that, we can boldly approach the throne of grace to find mercy. So I just pray that you guys would be blessed by this song. You can sing along as you get the hang of it or just um, let the lyrics kind of kind of just meditate on, on them in your heart. So with that said, let's just enter this time of giving.
guys can go ahead and have a seat. morning. Common Ground, it's good to be with you this morning. My name is Justin. I'm one of the elders here at Common Ground, and it's my privilege to lead a, a time of prayer for us this morning. So Kyle's going to run around. Um, well, actually, I'm so sorry. I just remembered we're not doing that. <laughs> so we actually don't need that. But thank you so much for being willing, Kyle, to do that. Um, yeah, you can just toss it up here again. Appreciate that. Um, I've been thinking a lot about how to lead this time. And a lot of things, especially just this week, have seemed to be lining up with uh, international events. And so I want us, even though it's, it's normal for us to pray for uh, things within the body and, and concerns that we have and things that we're thinking about, I also think it's important for us to be thinking about um, places outside of here, places that are far away from here, um, and, and what they need, that we could be not just a, a local church, but a global church, one that's connected to the body of Christ um, elsewhere, outside of Rapid City. Um, and so I've got four different uh, sort of places or locations that we'll be praying for. I kind of relate to the things that we're uh, involved in as a church or just as a, as a nation. Um, and so what I'd like to do is split the room up into four kind of sections and then kind of assign you guys uh, time to pray for those things. So uh, as I'm talking and assigning those things, would, would each of you, or a, a, a few of you at least, um, pull out your phone or a notebook and be ready to take down some prayer requests? Um, so I think what we'll do, this whole section right here, the, the right side or my left, uh, will, be, will be one section. And you guys, if you want to, you can split up into smaller groups within that section. Um, but that'll be one group. And then in this section, I think, um, let's do roughly even. I think Jamin and Sarah in your row and back will be one section, and everybody in front of them will be another section. Does that make sense? So there'll be two here in the middle, kind of front and, and back section. And then this whole side here, uh, my right, your left, will be all one section, all right? And uh, here, I'll, I'll go ahead and um, share the prayer requests. For you guys. So one of the things I wanted to do was um, the Schlafmans, who left a few months ago to go to California slash Guatemala. Uh, they've been there for a little while now. We have an update from them, and so I wanted to uh, give us a chance to be praying for them. Um, so they said that their, their work has been life-giving, but kind of ambiguous, and so they're praying for clarity on how they can contribute well to the Guatemalan people. So that will be one of those requests, just clarity on how they can be serving the Guatemalan people. Uh, they'd also appreciate prayers for La Casa de la Paz, as the organization uh, is working through growing pains, learning to work together with different personality types and giftings. So the organization that they're working with is going through some, some growing pains, and so we want to pray that those things get resolved in, in a biblical way, uh, that they're able to move forward uh, with unity. 
And then also just for the Schlafmans personally, they're praying for their work situation uh, for when they return to the U.S. They're going to be planning on like, going back and forth between the U.S. and Guatemala. Um, that allows them to have time with family uh, and the ability to make enough money to then return to Guatemala again in November. So just for them as a family, they'd have good work opportunities and family time as they spend time in the States getting ready to go back to Guatemala when that happens. Okay, you got it? This is the Guatemala section. Got your prayer request? Thank you. Awesome. Okay, and then we have a group of people, uh, like Pastor, or like Nick said, that are going to, or are there now. They're in Mexico. Uh, so we want to lift them up in prayer as well and, and prayer, pray for that team. Um, so this group right here in front of me, the, the, the forward group, the fronter group, I don't know how to say that. Uh, here are your guys' prayer requests, okay? Uh, when I was talking to Pastor Evan, he said there's two different kind of like groups of pastors that are coming uh, to, to this time. Some of them are kind of in the, in the city, I think of Chihuahua, and they're like very up and coming, they're dressed really nice, they're very like prestigious. And then the other group are coming from like the hills and the mountains, and they are not any of those things. And, but they're all pastors, and they're all leaders, and they all are people who are trying to shepherd their flocks well. And so would you guys be praying for unity between those two groups? There wouldn't be any, any posturing or weirdness more than there needs to be. Um, but that they would just, just gel together and be unified um, for their task. Would you also pray that that team could be flexible and change plans and adapt? Um, when you're overseas, and especially if you don't know the language, flexibility is huge. You need that big time. So would you guys pray for that team uh, for that? Um, also pray for the kids in the community who will come to the sports camp. Um, these kids are going to be super receptive, super excited to see new people. Uh, and that's a great opportunity to be sharing the gospel with them. And also for them, that team, to focus on what they're doing right there in the moment, rather than trying to think about what's happening back home or what could be happening back home, uh, worrying about those responsibilities that's waiting for them when they come back. Okay, you got that? Front, front group, Mexico group? That's your name? Cool. Okay, what's that? Awesome. I don't know how to respond to that in Spanish. Also bueno, I guess. Muy bueno. <laughs> uh, okay, so then uh, this group back here, you guys are going to pray for uh, the situation in the Ukraine. Uh, that one is a big one that's been going on for a while now. Um, yeah, there's just a lot of, of hurt and pain and sin happening that needs to be addressed and resolved. Um, so what I'd like you guys to be praying for, and you can feel free to add to this too if you'd like to, but these things... Uh, I thought would be important, would be safety for the citizens, for the innocent people who are just, just trying to live life and figure out what they're going to do next, um, that, they would, that they would be um, safe, that they would have the chance to be able to do those things. Uh, for families, both, both in the area, locally and internationally, who have lost communication, uh, that, that, that communication's been cut off between them and their family members, I know that that affects um, some people even in this church, would you be praying for them that they could reestablish that communication? Also, I'm just thinking about the local churches and the hearts of the people in the Ukraine and what they must be going through and feeling right now, their hearts towards the Lord and their hearts towards each other and their hearts towards um, the people that are, that are causing them pain. Uh, would you just be praying for those local churches that they'd be able to um, band together 
and love each other well and love their communities well. We'll stick with those three uh, for now for, for the Ukraine. All right, and then you guys over here. Um, you guys are going to pray for the U.S. First uh, Timothy talks about praying for our leaders. And I think that's something that we, I, fail to do pretty often. And so I want us to do it as, as a church. Um, so I want, I want this group uh, to be praying for our president and vice president, especially as it regards to having wisdom uh, for what de decisions to make in the, the Russian-Ukraine conflict and, and other, other aspects of um, what needs to happen in our country. Um, and then I was thinking about just the different, the different houses of power that we have, the Supreme Court, the, the, um, the House of Representatives, the Senate. And ultimately, when I boil those things down, I think what we need to be praying for is that the people of the United States will be represented well and, and, and rightly, and more importantly, that the people uh, who are being represented would have hearts that love Jesus and, and want to see good things happen in our country. Um, so would you be praying for the hearts of the, the American people and that those hearts would be represented well um, in our government? All right, so I'm going to give you guys some time to break up. You can break up into smaller groups within your bigger groups, but at least you guys know um, what to be praying for. Um, and then at the end of that time, I'll just go ahead and get up, and I will lead us in one big corporate prayer to wrap up that time. So thank you guys. Would you guys go ahead and grab, um, grab a group and start praying for our world?
Lord, I thank you so much for this, this body that we get to as your people, as your bride, as a nation within a nation whose citizenship is ultimately in heaven. We get to intercede on behalf of those who wouldn't think to intercede for themselves, who are lost and who are dying and who need your hope and your comfort. And so I just pray that as, as your representatives, as your body, we would, we would live up to that task well. We would represent you well. We would love each other and we would love this world in ways that, that leads them to you. Uh, that we would speak boldly and that we would love uh, courageously and that we'd also ultimately walk um, humbly with you. And Lord, I, I pray too that we would remember um, that for all, all the power that the United States has, that all the, the power that Russia or China um, or any country on this earth have, even if they were all united, it, it's nothing compared to your power. And you are the one who ultimately is in control. And we praise you for that because you're good and you're loving. And uh, we get to be your people. And you, you humble yourself to call us uh, our, our God, that you, you would do that for us. So I pray that as we um, move from this time into a time of hearing your word, we'd, be, uh, we, we, we'd walk forward encouraged. We'd leave this building um, in, encouraged. Uh, looking forward with, with hope that is grounded uh, in, in your name and being, being positioned as your people, um, not in our own, uh, our own uh, other things that we might try to attach to our identities. I pray that in your name, Jesus, as our King and our Lord and our Master. Amen. Thank you, Justin, for leading us in that time, very much needed time. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, we are in the book of Hebrews, been working through the book of Hebrews now for a few weeks. Uh, we are currently at part 10, but in chapter 8. So we did park in a couple of chapters on our way through this. Um, we've been spending a lot of time talking about a lot of Old Testament things. Uh, Evan's done a great job talking about the priesthood and, and that, and it's starting to kind of wind into why, uh, at this point, why they were talking so much about that. Uh, it's good for us to remember that the writer of Hebrews was addressing Christians who, for the most part, were Jewish, and they were well-steeped in the Jewish traditions of the law and the, the temple and the sacrificial system and the priesthood and all that sort of thing. But now they're facing intense persecution and suffering. And uh, when those times come upon us, it's real easy for us to kind of want to revert back to, it's natural, actually, for us to want to revert back to what we're familiar with, what we're comfortable with, um, maybe what was a little easier. Uh, you've probably had moments in your life when you go, man, being a Christian's tough. It's not easy. Uh, following in obedience to God. And uh, when tough times come, it can be very tempting to say, I think I'll just go back and sit down for a little while. And so the writer of Hebrews was trying to get them to pay attention to not drift back into, uh, back into that thing that they were actually saved 
from. And this chapter really kind of gets into uh, looking at that. So we're going to look at a better promise that God had for his people. Uh, so speaking of promises, can you think of one of the best promises that was ever given to you? Okay, does, does anything kind of pop to mind? Maybe, maybe I should say this. Hey, uh, married men in the room, what's the best promise that was ever given to you? <laughs> I saw that, Josh, pointing over at Kayla there. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, I, have this, I have this particular uh, superpower, okay? If I were an X-Man, this would be my mutant power here. I can open my mouth and dumb things come out of it, right? Uh, my, my, my wife can attest to that probably uh, several times where I've either said something or I've done something, and she's had to revert back to, oh, yeah, that's right. I made a promise that I would love, honor, cherish, uh, respect this guy for better or for worse. <laughs> So to me, that's the best promise that was ever given to me because uh, that was my only hope because I'm a guy and dudes, we do stuff like that, don't we? Uh, so I want to look at the best promise that God gave to, to his people. We're going to look at some of the other promises that he gave as we did that. But uh, can we pray before we uh, go into the scripture? Heavenly Father, uh, the book of Hebrews is uh, a fun book uh, to read, to study, to explore, uh, but not an easy book to preach. And in this particular section, Lord, um, yeah, I, I can't recall a time I've, I've preached a, a Hebrews chapter 8 sermon. So God, today I just, uh, I'm looking to you uh, because, uh, Lord, truth be told, um, I can't say I got this. I don't. Um, uh, I, I got nothing. And, and the reality, even at our best, uh, that's where we all are at. We've got nothing, Lord. But you have us, and because you have us, we know that you can work and you can do things uh, through our weaknesses even, uh, because that's where your grace is best, and that's where your power is seen best. So today we, Lord, we, we pray for that, Lord, that your grace, your power, your goodness would be demonstrated in this time that we spend looking into your word, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, if we go right into uh, Hebrews chapter 8, here's what it says uh, in verse 1. I think we've got a slide that will correspond with this, uh, where the writer says, now the point in what we are saying is this. Now, interesting that he says this. The point in what we are saying is this. He's been talking about a lot of things, and you might remember that uh, Evan's message last week dealt with this guy named Melchizedek. Okay, now is everybody that was here last week, are you completely clear on Melchizedek? No, I, didn't, I didn't think so. Anybody here read the Lord of the Rings? Okay, if, you, if you're familiar with the Lord of the Rings, he is the Tom Bombadil of the Bible, right? Who is this guy, you know? And, and who is the exact... Anyway, uh, all these things that he's kind of been throwing at us, he's now kind of wrapping up. The point in what we're saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who was seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent, or the true tabernacle, that the Lord set up and not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices, and thus, is, ugh, thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tabernacle, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern 
that was shown you on the mountain. And we'll just stop here at this point because uh, it's good to kind of uh, look and see, well, what was kind of the main idea that this, this passage we just read was saying? Because it talks a lot about the high priest. And again, Evan has already preached probably two sermons dealing with uh, the, the priesthood in Israel. Uh, so I'm just going to summarize it down to this based on what we just read. Uh, first, we were told that a high priest serves in the sanctuary or the holy place. All right. And uh, if you know anything about the temple or the tabernacle, they both kind of follow the same footprint and the high priest was the only one who could enter into that holy place uh, to stand before God between him and Israel the people that he was representing okay uh, so that's what a high priest does he serves there uh, and then he also offers gifts and sacrifices and again you can read if you want to you can read through Exodus Leviticus numbers in deuteronomy and there's the complete list there's all of the offerings that they had to give and i, I honestly i don't know how they kept them all straight uh, there were so many of them so many things that they had to pay attention to now these earthly high priests uh, they served in accordance with the old covenant law jesus on the other hand and this is the high priest that he's talking about now that we have who's passed through the heavenlies the greatest of sanctuaries Jesus is now at the right hand of God's throne in heaven. And he has fulfilled the old covenant, making it no longer necessary. And that's a very important point for us to understand, that the old covenant uh, that was given to us in the Old Testament uh, has, has been completely fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Uh, the old covenant sanctuary and, and the offerings that were given were merely a sketch merely a copy and shadow of something new that was to come. Uh, so do we have any seamstresses in, in the house okay, that have made dresses and things like that? I never have, okay, but I've been watching uh, Bridget, who does all the costumes for the theater here, and uh, she, has, you know, she has these paper patterns, and she lays those down on cloth and snip, 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 snip. You know, she cuts them out with her fabric scissors, and oh my goodness, you don't want to touch her fabric scissors. Okay, she guards them with her life. But anyway, she cuts them out, and then she sews them together and you know, dolls them up with a bunch of fancy embroidery and things like that. Well, you know, could you imagine, instead of wearing the costume that she's made with the cloth, that instead you just wear the paper? the pattern, you know, just tape it on kind of thing. That would not be sufficient, would it? That would be ridiculous to do that. And uh, to carry on with the old covenant, that, that's what we would be doing. We would just be wearing the pattern rather than the reality of what that pattern represented. Uh, so when you read the Old Testament and you see the sanctuary, the offerings, the priesthood, all that sort of thing, they were basically a prototype, okay, uh, of the final and complete product that would come. And those verses were kind of pointing that out to us. Then we get to verse 6, which I think is kind of a pivotal passage uh, in this chapter. It says, But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it's enacted on better promises. Okay, there you go. There's the pitch right there. And nothing was held back. There were words like uh, more excellent, 
better, you know, that sort of thing. So uh, the, the writer of Hebrews is without apology saying that what we now have in Jesus is way above and beyond than what we had before. So if you think about that, why return? Why go back to that? Okay, You remember uh, the old piece of junky car you drove? Okay, Or the old piece of junk computer you tried to work on? Or the old piece of junk phone that you carried in your pocket, and then you got the new one? And once you had the new one, did you go, oh man, I wish I had that old piece of junk again? You know? And that's basically what we're being told there in, Hebrew, in, in chapter or verse 6 of this, of this chapter, is, is that why, you know, Jesus has something better. Why would we go back to the, the, the old thing? Okay? Now again, the old was just a pattern. That's all it was. It's something to come. And then Jesus shows up and initiates something much better. Uh, we're told that he serves in the true tabernacle. That means the eternal tent, the eternal place of worship of God, the place where God meets with his people. We're told that his ministry is far superior than the ministry of the Levitical priesthood. We're told that his ministry is enacted on even better promises than were given before, and that this one is found faultless, found faultless. Now, we have to go to verse 7 to understand that. So here's what it says in verses 7 uh, through verse 9, I think it is. It says, for if that first covenant had been faultless, which implies it wasn't, okay? If that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault in them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. When I was preaching at a, a, another church, I spent about 14 years up there with the people that were about an average age of 140 years old. And, uh, which was weird because I've been a youth guy all my life. And uh, our, our patriarch of the, of the house, that's what I like to call him, Jim Ramey. Uh, Jim, Jim's, uh, Jim's a rancher, well I should say was, he's passed on into God's presence now, but uh, Jim was a rancher that could remember the days when there were no barbed wire fences between South Dakota and Texas. Okay, he drove cattle on horseback through that. That's how old this dude was, right? And, uh, and, and, and it was fun having him in our church. And whenever he prayed, he'd always pray in the name of our friend, Jesus. I just loved that when Jim would do that. One day he came up to me because I was doing a, a study in Joshua for our adult Bible study. And he came up to me after the church service and said, Preacher, because that's what he always called me, Preacher, I had no use for the Old Testament. I said, Really, Jim? And he goes, that's right. And I said, well, why do you say that, Jim? He says, well, because it's all been taken care of now in Jesus Christ. The New Testament is all we need. I don't understand why we carry these big old Bibles with all this stuff in the Old Testament. And I said, well, Jim, I understand what you're saying there. Yes, Jesus is really all that we need, but we will not understand Jesus unless we understand the Old Testament. Okay? And we really don't understand the Old Testament unless we have a better understanding of who Jesus is. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is doing there. So I said, Jim, just stick with this study for a little while and, and see what happens. Okay? After a few weeks, he came up to me and he said, Preacher, I was wrong. 
Now, for a 95-year-old man to say I was wrong, that's a miracle. Okay, right there. He changed his mind at that age. Uh, and I said, what's going on, Jim? Why did you, what, what were you wrong about? And he says, he says I, I've come to see that I need to study the Old Testament. And uh, he says, and I haven't for a long time, so I'm going to get on that. And so he came back a month or two later, and he says, holy cow, the Old Testament is cool. The book of Judges, man, that was awesome. <laughs> there was blood and thunder and everything happening there. But he says, I began to see that what God was doing in the Old Testament was actually preparing all of us for what was supposed to happen in the New Testament. But contained within the Old Testament is the Old Covenant. And the writer of Hebrews, inspired by the Holy Spirit, found fault with the Old Covenant. Or I should say, God found fault in it. So that led me to go, well, what, what was wrong with it? What was the fault that was in there. And it doesn't mean that it was insufficient or something for what it was doing at the time. It's just that it was not sufficient for what God had in mind for all of mankind. The fault in the first is that it was never meant to execute the fullness of God's plan to redeem every nation of mankind. Its job was only to point towards that full redemption, to kind of lead people to, to look that way. Okay, kind of like a road sign. Says, here's, what's, here's what's coming down the road here for you. Here's what's down the path for us. Now, on top of that, the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, you'll see over and over again that Israel violated their terms of the Old Testament. You might remember just before Christmas, uh, Evan took us through the covenants and, and what those meant. And remember when he talked about how a lot of animals got, got butchered for that? And the whole purpose of that bloody mess that, that both parties had to walk through was to say, um, uh, so shall I be <laughs> if I do not keep my end of the bargain here, right? And God never failed to keep his end of the bargain, but repeatedly Israel fumbled at that. And, and we don't have any business saying, well, come on, Israel, get it together, come on, what? No, because they're representing all of mankind. And all of mankind would have failed just like they did. Okay? Just like they did. You know, and, and part of the old covenant was to reveal to us that we have no hope within ourselves. That there's no way that we're going to be our own gods and figure this, figure this whole thing out on ourselves. We need help outside of us. And so God remained faithful to his covenant while Israel did not. But in Israel's not being faithful to the covenant, there's the fault of that covenant. It was not fully kept. Now, part of the job of Israel was simply this. They were to make God's name known to every nation in this world. In the, in, in the New Testament, when, like when we read the book of Acts, um, Jesus says to his followers, he says, you will be my witnesses to uh, Jerusalem first, right where you're at, then Judea and Samaria, the regions outside of you, and then keep going all the way to the uttermost regions of the world. That's your job. And we get that as Christians, right? We're, we're to be a salt and light to the whole world and point people towards Jesus that they might have faith in him too. And that's exactly what Israel was supposed to be doing. You know, hey, Egypt, <laughs> you need to know about this God we serve and, and what he's done for us. Hey, Babylon, pay attention to what God has done because he wants you to experience the blessings that he's poured out in us. Remember, he blessed Israel so that the 
rest of the world could experience those blessings. But Israel didn't do it. They failed in keeping their end of the bargain, and eventually they got to the point by the end of the Old Testament where they were hunkered down and wanted nothing to do with the rest of the world. As far as they were concerned, the rest of the world could go to hell. And when Jesus showed up, that was basically the mindset of the typical Jew. We don't want Gentiles. We don't want the Gentiles coming in here and worshiping. At our, this is our temple. This is our God. Oh, man, can't we do that as Christians? <laughs> we shouldn't, but sometimes we do, you know, where we just kind of, well, this, this is all about my personal walk with God and the benefits that I can reap out of this. I mean, I'm saved, and that's cool, and that's awesome. Anybody ever watch Seinfeld? Okay, yeah, Seinfeld. If, if you haven't, you've got to watch it sometime because there's, there's the, the worst collection of human beings you've ever seen uh, put together there. And uh, one of the characters, Elaine, she had a boyfriend named Putty, played by Richard Warburton. I just love that guy. Uh, he played Kronk in The Emperor's New Groove, you know. And anyway, uh, he, he, he said he was a Christian. He had a Jesus fish. He played Christian radio and stuff like that. And Elaine, she wasn't a Christian, and they were dating, and she was really worried about that and uh, upset about how that would work. And, and she, uh, she talked to him about that, and he says, ah, it's not, you know, I don't see what the big deal is, and kind of thing. She goes, what the big deal is? She goes, I'm going to hell. Aren't you concerned about that? And he goes, not me. I'm not the one going to hell. <laughs> you know? And there was a comedic moment that he put in there, but you know, in a way it kind of represented sometimes that's my, that was what Israel was doing, and we don't want to follow that same pattern. So the, the message has always been from Genesis all the way through Revelation to the Jew first and then to the, and then to the Gentile. To the Jew first and then to the Gentile. God made his promises to the Jews so that that would then pass on to the Gentile. God redeemed and protected the Jew so that that would pass on and the Gentile would, would, would have the same thing. But again, Israel, they, they did not continue uh, in that. So that which was pointing towards Jesus has now been made obsolete through Jesus. Because here were the promises that were not as good as the one that comes in Jesus. We have first the Edenic covenant. Find that in Genesis chapters 2 and 3. And a promise was given that the seed of the woman, which refers to a virgin birth, would come and crush the power of the devil while being wounded in the process. Jesus fulfilled that promise in the cross. Then we have the, the Noahic covenant after the flood. In Genesis chapter 6 through 9, or 6, 9 through 22, and then chapter 9, 1 through 17, God gives a promise that he would not send another flood upon the earth, that he would preserve mankind until the coming of Jesus. And he did. I mean, how many, how many times have we given God a good excuse to just step up the mankind and go off my planet? But he didn't do that. Instead, he put up with us because he made a promise. Kind of the same way my wife has made a promise to put up with me because he was waiting for a better thing to come. Then we have the Abrahamic covenant. You know, that's where God gives a promise of, of a land and, and, and a nation and, and then a blessing to all people of the earth through that, that nation. Genesis chapter 12. 
that blessing that would come to all mankind, guess who that was? Yeah, we know. Jesus, right? Then there's the Mosaic Covenant of Exodus chapters 19 through 31. Some of the most exciting reading that you'll find in Exodus. And in that covenant, there's a promise that God would not forsake his people and that there would be coming a once and for all sacrifice. Once and for all. Again, even back then, they knew that that all of these animals that they were having to bring in were not going to be sufficient to save mankind. They were just pointing towards a sacrifice that would, again, fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And then we have the Davidic covenant, and we find that in 2 Samuel, and that's the promise that God made to David that an everlasting king and savior would reign forever and ever, and that that one would come from the line of David. And again, Jesus fulfilled that promise. So in fulfilling those promises, he made them obsolete. We're not waiting for this blessing to come, because it's already come. We're not waiting for this everlasting king to show up, because he has shown up. We're not waiting for uh, God to not destroy us anymore, because he has done everything that he could to save us. It says in John chapter 3, uh, you know, John 3.16, we know that one, right? That's a good one, all right? But right next to it is verse 17, right in the shadow of that big verse is 17, where Jesus says, I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to save the world. That by believing in me, they would be saved. And there's that fulfillment of that promise that God had given. So then that takes us down to verse 10 of chapter 8 where we switch to what this new covenant is that they're going to speak about here, or that they have been speaking about. Again, you can find that in the Old Testament in uh, both Jeremiah and Ezekiel. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God and they will be my people. They shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. And speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. So Hebrews made it pretty clear that everything that Judaism had been clinging to up to that point is no longer necessary. The only thing that's necessary is Jesus and putting our faith in him. So what does Jesus accomplish through this new covenant? Well, first of all, he's releasing Israel from their failure in keeping the first. He's saying, yeah, I see it. You didn't keep it. But that's okay because I did. I fulfilled it in your place. I took your place, even to the point of going to a cross, so that you could be beneficiaries of this, along with every other nation of the world. Here's where the big flip-flop happens, okay? In the Old Covenant, Israel was supposed to represent God to the rest of us, Gentiles, and now in the New Covenant, we've been chosen to represent God to Israel. Because he's still waiting for that day when Israel goes, hey, we almost missed our Messiah. 
and to come to faith and experience the fullness of what was promised to them here. So what does he accomplish in this covenant? Well, the first one that we just saw in, in verses uh, 10 through 13 is, is that the law will be in the hearts and minds of believers. And I think that must include the promise of the Holy Spirit because him dwelling in us gives us God's law to love God with all of our being and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And with that, we can now know and desire God's will. The old covenant wouldn't give us that. But what Jesus accomplished is that you and I as a believer in Christ can know and actually desire God's will. You know, that's how I knew that this stuff worked. I didn't become a Christian until I was about 22 years old. And, 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 and I was shaking off the, the old life at that point. And one of the first things I realized was something I had no interest in whatsoever, I was hungry for. I didn't care about God. I didn't care about the church, reading the Bible, things like that. But once Jesus took up residence in my life, suddenly it's like, I want this. And I want more and more and more of this. That's because Jesus has a better promise. A second thing that he does, uh, it, when it says, I will be their God and they shall be my people, um, that is really echoing a line that we find in the Song of Solomon. I am my beloved's and he is mine. Or, and I am his. I am my, no, I got it wrong. I am my beloved's and he is mine. Okay, that's what God says. Okay? I will be your God and you will be my people. I am his, he is mine. You know, that's really the marriage covenant right there. That's what we're saying when we step into marriage. I am yours and you're mine forever and ever from now on. And isn't that what the Bible describes our relationship with Jesus as? I mean, isn't that what we're waiting for, is for him to come back and say, let's have a marriage feast. I can't wait. There's going to be eating in the new heaven and new earth. See, the marriage covenant is, is a very privileged and special relationship. There's no other relationship like it, and it's no wonder that God would choose that as the relationship to symbolize, to reflect our relationship with him. Because of Jesus Christ, believers now enter into a privileged relationship with God. Privileged. I mean, when you wake up in the morning... As a follower of Jesus Christ, you're waking up with something that not everybody in this world has. And it's an amazing thing. And it's no wonder that God would make it so special for us that we can't help but go and tell others about it and say, you want to you have this relationship too. You want to step in this as well. He then said that there'd be no need to teach one another. And that's because, again, through the Holy Spirit accomplished through Jesus Christ's death on the cross and resurrection from the grave, is that we can now know God directly. You don't need me to understand this. Now, I, I can help you to understand this, but you don't need me to know what God's saying to you because he's talking to you directly now. That's the relationship that you have with him. And that's something that Jesus accomplished. And then when he says, from the least to the greatest, um, he's talking about the least of people to the greatest of, of people experiencing the permanent forgiveness of sin. The permanent, let me say that again, the permanent forgiveness of sin. Why, why am I emphasizing that? Because we just don't get it sometimes, do we? We foul up, 
and we think, gosh, I let God down. And God has to remind us, already forgiven. At the cross, once and for all. Don't have to rehash it. And if there's anything he'd want us to understand is that right now, today, we're full, 100% recipients of his grace because of Jesus Christ and not anything that we did. Anybody foul up yesterday? Of course we did. <laughs> Anybody going to foul up tomorrow? Of course you will. Permanently forgiven in Jesus Christ. The new covenant in this provides a leveling of all people. When it says from the, from the least to the greatest, everybody. Everybody has that opportunity. No one is disqualified from being able to experience that. All they have to do is put their faith in Jesus Christ. You don't have to achieve a certain status. You don't have to accomplish certain things. You just have to receive and believe. All those things could not be accomplished in the Old Covenant. The only way that they were ratified was by the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. That's it. That's why we make such a big deal about the cross as Christians. Because without it, we'd still be walking around in paper patterns instead of the royal robes of righteousness that God has prepared for us through the blood of Jesus Christ. So for the Hebrew Christian, the original reader of the book of Hebrews, who were facing the temptation to abandon the cross for Judaism, something that they were familiar with and comfortable with, so they perceived it to be easier, they would now know through this chapter that they're really isn't anything to return to. It's gone. It's obsolete. Jesus swept it under the rug because he had something better all along. For them, adherence to the obsolete old covenant would be absolutely futile. But what about us 21st century Christians from a predominantly Gentile background? How, how is this relevant to us well it's relevant because we too can so easily drift away from the gospel it doesn't take much for us to pervert the gospel into just moral behavior right we get all wrapped up about exterior actions and things like that we make lists of what's naughty and what's not kind of thing and then we do our best to avoid the naughty things and look down our noses on people who don't avoid it, right? That's not what Christianity is. The new covenant eradicated that business. And said it's not about the exterior actions, it's about the interior reality of one's heart with Jesus, that relationship that you walk in. Because when you walk in that relationship, all the other stuff's going to follow. It's just going to be the side effect of loving Jesus. We have to remember that being a follower of Jesus means that our identity, our, our significance, our value, our purpose, 
All of those things which we are wired to be hungry for are found in our relationship with Jesus Christ and Him alone. Anybody here a people pleaser? <laughs> Galatians 1.10. <laughs> yeah, that's the verse that kicks me in the teeth every time where Paul says, uh, am I seeking to please God or please people? Because if I'm seeking to please people, I cannot call myself a servant of God. Right? And, and that's me. I'm a people pleaser. All right? And uh, that's one of my weaknesses. And you know what that is? That desire to please people. You know what that is? That's, that's me forgetting the gospel. That's me forgetting. I don't have to please people because God has already accepted me as his kid. Not because of anything that I've done, but because of Jesus Christ. Boom. Set free. Set free from something that so easily hold us into bondage. You see how this is a better promise now? Be set free. Maybe today is a day for you to really step in to that covenant relationship with God. You know, maybe maybe you've not understood it or maybe you thought that it was all about just checking off the boxes or something like that, and that's all that mattered to God. That's all he was looking for. You know, as long as you jump through all these hoops, I won't smite you with a thunderbolt. And maybe you just missed, it's just, it's just simply receiving the gift of Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of every promise that God has made to his people Israel that was to pass on to every nation of this world. To walk in this new covenant relationship with God is something that changes our hearts and transforms us from spiritual death into a brand new living creature. And as we just read in, in, in chapter 8, we, walking in this relationship means that we'll be able to know and to desire God's will. That we'll enjoy this amazing intimate relationship with God that will know him directly and personally. And every day we wake up with the knowledge that we are completely and permanently forgiven. All through the death of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. Definitely a better promise than anything that's ever come before. Jesus stands before each of us as individuals, looks us straight in the eye, and he says, I vow to love you, to keep you, to protect you, respect you, as my very own, faithfully, except there's no death till we part. But Jesus is forever and ever and ever. What a promise. What a promise. Let's pray. Lord, I'm so glad that today we didn't have to show up with goats or sheep or birds or 
things like that to present to some guy dressed up in fancy robes and a hat so that they could kill those things and then have to do it over and over and over again for us. Lord, I'm so grateful that, um, that the law that you have always meant for every human being has, has simply been to love you with all of our being. And while loving you, loving our neighbors as well. Lord, there were times when the Old Testament bears out testimony that, that Israel didn't do that for the Gentiles. There were a few that caught on to it and remained faithful to you, but they lost it. And God, my prayer is that as the church, we would, we would remember that in loving you, we, we love others around us. And in loving others around us, we're, we're inviting them to embrace the promise that you give to us. So Lord, if uh, your spirit knows our hearts and if for whatever reason uh, we have not fully received that great covenant promise that you give to us through Jesus, that today we do business with you and say, here I am, Lord, I receive it. Change my heart. Don't let it be the way it always has been. Lord, I want to be yours completely yours and i want you to be mine completely mine god i want to know what it means to be forever completely forgiven lord will your spirit work in our lives here we are um, have us meet us where we're at tell us whatever we need to know that we might walk out of this place as your covenant people the people of jesus we pray this in his name. Amen. Stand as we sing.
go forth from this place, uh, do so in uh, the, the doxology of Jude, the ending of Jude, verse 24. Uh, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to our only God and Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Go forth in the promises kept by Jesus Christ. Blessings to you.